Good morning. Let's ask for God's help before we go to his word. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we're looking at what you have for us about wisdom today, I pray that we would be walking into this time with a very keen awareness that without your spirit at work, we won't grasp any of it. We won't. We might understand it with our brains, but our hearts will reject it. Our pride will tell us that we don't need what you have for us, and our, uh, our, our selfishness will end up reigning supreme. So God, we pray that the spirit would work with the word as we open it now, uh, so that we can uh, love the truth, not just understand it, but embrace it because we love it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So no surprise, we are continuing in Proverbs. So I'm going to ask you to open to Proverbs 2. Proverbs 1, we did in a couple of sermons in Proverbs 2. We're going to handle all today. And at first I thought that was a bit more than I wanted to tackle, but the more that I looked at the passage over the last few weeks, the more I realized it's, it's a wonderful passage to be handled all in one thing. And before we read it, because I do want to read the entirety of the 22 verses, uh, but before we go there, I want to just set the stage as you're turning to it that I think as we even think about wisdom in our culture and the way that we talk about things like smarts and intelligence and you notice I said smarts, that's, that's my uh, Oklahoma coming out. But as we, as we think about wisdom and intelligence, I think our culture tends to get it a little bit upside down. And our culture would tell us that those things that are intelligent or are smart or maybe that are wise are difficult to understand, complex, um, opaque. Uh, there's, a, there's a film out in the theaters right now made by a filmmaker, Christopher Nolan, who's known for making films that are difficult to understand. And people walk away from those films and what's, one of the things people think is, oh, that was so smart. What did it mean? I have no idea. I don't get it. And we tend to think that is a sign of wisdom. Somehow complexity and uh, riddles that no one can quite get their arms around or puzzles that you can't quite understand. And if someone is saying something to me and they sound smart and they're using big words, but I have no idea what they're saying, somehow that's wise. Well, if that's our notion of wisdom as we come to the book of Proverbs and specifically this passage, we're going to think that this passage does not communicate wisdom because this passage is very, very simple to understand. In fact, the whole book of Proverbs is at the end of the day saying, hey, there's really two paths. There's the path of wisdom and there's the path of foolishness. There's not a lot of nuance. There's not a lot of, of explaining. It's just sort of encouraging walk the path of wisdom. So as we read this passage, I want us just to sort of be ready to embrace the fact that the simplicity is what's beautiful here. Remember, it's a, it's a father talking to his son, and he's not trying to use such complex ideas and notions that the son can't understand. This is quite easy to follow, and the logic here is not difficult. So I want to read all of Proverbs 2, 1 through 20. 
I remember the first time Eric Tonas had to get his reading glasses out to read when he was preaching. Well, today's my day. <laughs> Happened just in the last three months. So thank you, Lord. Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of the evil for men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The simplicity of this passage is found in its little words, not its big words. The more that I read chapter 2, the more I realized the little words give us the outline of the passage. So if you want the outline of the passage, here it is. If, then, for, then, for, so, so, for. That's the outline. You can write that down. In fact, I even wrote a song. If, then, for, so, forth, so, forth, so. I can't remember how it goes, but we need Julie Andrews here to sing it. It would sound actually better. The little words here actually piece this passage together in a way that makes it very clear and easy to understand. And it starts right off with the if. So in the first five verses, we have a series of ifs. Notice them. My son, if you receive my words and if you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart. Yes, if you call out for insight. And if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. Every parent who's ever existed uses if-then thinking with their children. This is not a complex notion. My wife potty trained both our daughters using if-then thinking. There was a book, I think it was called uh, Potty Training in One Day or something like that, where literally I went off to work and came home and the girls were potty trained in one day and it was something like, if you potty here, you get this thing you want. And a lot of it was sugary drinks and the more sugary drinks, the, the more you have to potty. And so it just sort of ends up becoming this vicious cycle that in one day they have to potty so much. And then at the end of the day, if they can go throughout the day, we get to have a potty party. 
if you potty here all day, at the end of the day, we get to have a potty party. The same kind of reasoning we have found in this book about wisdom. <laughs> it's simple. It's, it's motivating. Right? It's not just merely the father to his son giving propositions and content. He's, he's, he's encouraging. He's pleading as parents are tend to do. And they're beautiful. The pleadings, they're emotive. Uh, we can't even go, if, if this was the only passage we were preaching, one through six, it would preach really well. Because there's a lot to, we could dig out here. How beautiful it is to think about searching for God's wisdom as it was a great treasure. And doing some introspection of how many things we search after more than God's wisdom. And causing our ear, right? Turning our ear to be attentive to wisdom. Inclining our heart to understanding. There's some recognition there that our hearts are not naturally bent to want wisdom. Our hearts are naturally inclined to reject it. But the one verb out of this that I want to call attention to is in verse 3. Where the father is telling his son, if you call out for insight... And raise your voice for understanding. And this notion of calling out, I think, is so helpful. First of all, in Proverbs 1, we've already seen that the personification, the wise woman, we've seen she is calling out. And throughout these first chapters of Proverbs, we're going to see both wisdom calls out, the forbidden woman calls out, and here the father is saying, son, if you call out for wisdom, you will get wisdom. There's something about this notion of, of just the, the abandonment, the desire to call out after something. You know, it's really hard to look cool and really call out for something. I think of a story of a family that, uh, my, that a man and I did ministry with in Oklahoma, and they, the, the Corbley family, and uh, they had the youngest daughter in the family was quite a few years younger than their sons. And I don't remember, there were people in our church, and when he told me the story, I had young daughters. I'm sure that's why it made such an impression upon me. And they were at the mall in Oklahoma, and their, their sons were junior high, high school age, and their daughter went missing. And I think the reason it stuck out to me, and it ends happy, they find the daughter, but it was not just like the 30-second or the two-minute or the five-minute missing. I think that they missed her. They lo she was lost for like 20 or 30 minutes. And I remember him telling me that he and all his grown children were running through the mall calling out for this little girl, three or four years old. It's hard to look cool and call out for something. That means that you long for that thing. You need that thing. You want that thing. You're desperate for it. And that's what the Father's encouraging us to do here. Be desperate for wisdom like that. So the if is the active part. It's the part that we're supposed to do. If you go potty here, then, and the then is the passive part. Something comes to you, right? The rest of the passage is the then. Praise the Lord. The first five verses are the if. That's the active part. That's the part that's calling you. The rest of all of this is what the Lord will do to us if we seek him. Starting at verse five, that's our first then. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. And the then is grounded with a four, for the Lord gives wisdom. 
from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It's a bit of a riddle. It's a bit of a puzzle. Not one that's difficult to understand. But if you call out for wisdom, you'll get wisdom because God's the one that gives it to you after all anyway. See where the emphasis is? The emphasis on God's the one who gives you the wisdom, less so on you're the one who made it happen. He stores, notice, I love the verbs. I love the active verbs. The, the, the imagery that we get played here of what God is doing for us in response to our seeking him for wisdom. The Lord gives. He stores up. He is a shield. He guards in verse 6. He watches over. We have our, our second then, right, in verse 9. So it says, if you call out for wisdom, then you're going to get wisdom because God's going to be the one who gives it to you. And then there's another then. Then you will understand righteous and justice, equity, and every good path. For, there's another for, wisdom will come into your heart. God's going to give it to you. It's just a reminder. Notice the verbs. It will come into your heart. It'll be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. It will guard you. I like this idea of, of God's guarding us, watching over us. And it struck me that some of us, when we think of being watched over, might, before we even realize it, have a mental attitude of prisoners being watched over by a guard. But really what we want to take on is Sheep being watched over by a shepherd. You see the difference? The first is, it's illustrative as our heart. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want anyone to watch over me and restrict me, tell me where I can go, what I can do. And the other is a sheep that says, if I'm not guarded tonight, those things out there that want to eat me will get me. So incline your heart towards being the sheep who's so grateful to have the Father watching over us, guarding us, protecting us. So the passage is moving along. Easy to understand. If, then, thinking. If you call out, God will watch you. He will guard you. Wisdom will come into your heart. It will be pleasant to your soul. And not only will it do that, here's another great verb. It will deliver you. And there's two different characters that we get to see in Proverbs 2. One of them has already been introduced in Proverbs 1, and the other one is first introduced here, but we're going to see a lot more about the forbidden woman throughout the remainder of these first few chapters of Proverbs. And the way that the passage works, the way that the words actually work, is if you call out for wisdom, God's going to deliver you from both of these characters. The first character shows up in verse 12. Who's God going to deliver us from? Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. These are some bad dudes. Chapter 1 tells us what about them? Chapter 1 says, let us ambush the innocent without reason. If I'm ever watching a movie by myself, which doesn't happen very often, you can almost count on it being a Western. And it's likely to be a really old Western. 
And in the old Westerns, something really interesting usually happens in the old Westerns. In the old Western, the bad guys are really bad. And they, they go out of their way to make them bad. Like, they, they, they whip their horses. It's like, they shoot innocent people, but somehow them whipping their own horses means they're worse to us or something like that, right? But they're, they're just evil people. They're looking to, to hurt the innocent. And the reason you want those bad guys to be so bad is so that at the end of the movie, when they get their justice, you can celebrate it. Right? These guys... In Proverbs, this is how evil they are. Chapter 4 says this about them. They cannot sleep until they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. In our household, if you can't sleep, you take melatonin. But these guys say, I can't sleep. i got to go do some evil. I can't put my head on the pillow till I, till I cause the innocent to stumble. These are really bad guys. You can see why the father would say, hey, son, stay away from these guys. Don't walk down the path with them. But if we seek out for wisdom, God will deliver us from their path. If we seek out for wisdom, God will also deliver us from the second character. That's the forbidden woman in 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. From the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her path to the, to the departed. None who go to her come back, but nor do they regain the pass of life. This is our first introduction to this character who's going to become a very important character through the next eight chapters, seven chapters after this one. To the extent in which wisdom, who is personified in chapter 1, and the forbidden woman, by the time we get to chapter 9, they're both preparing their meals. They're both calling out to the simple. But their desires for the simple are really different. And the result of dining at that meal are radically different. And the first result, as we see here, is death. Notice both of these characters that God will deliver us from. Notice how both of them, their speech is something that indicates who they are, right? The, the men are uh, per, men of perverted speech. They're liars. They, they'll tell you what you want to hear. But in, in the end, as you travel with them, you'll find yourself doing things with them you don't choose to do. This woman is a woman who um, has smooth words, a couple more chapters, it's going to say her words are smoother than oil. Something about words that then lead to actions of the heart. Jesus taught us something about that, didn't it? That our words flow out of our hearts and then actually ends up in actions themselves, for, forsaking the companion of her youth, forgetting the covenant of the God. I don't have to say a lot about the adulterous woman here because we're going to have plenty to come uh, about her and warnings about her from the father. But it makes sense to me that as a dad is speaking to his son specifically, that the two kinds of people he would be worried about are bad guys that are going to send you down paths that get you in trouble and sexual temptation. It also makes sense to me that there are other sorts of temptations and issues and problems that these two characters can symbolize and represent for us. 
In other words, you're not off the hook if you're like, oh, I'm not really tempted towards following the bad guys from Western movies or towards adulterous affairs. I don't think you're off the hook here. You still need to be delivered from whatever it is that has captured your heart with its own smooth words. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's uh, alcohol. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's just a neediness for the, the affirming words of humans. You can't get enough of it. There's all kinds of things that can trip us here that these two characters can represent for us, I think, helpfully. And the metaphor being these sorts of things lay for us a meal that leads to death. There's a helpful book on addictions by Edward Welch, and the title alone makes the book worth reading. The title of the book is Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. And that's exactly what we're seeing here, right? That if you eat this meal provided to you by the forbidden woman, provided to you by whatever it is that those smooth words have attracted your heart towards it, you're going to end up eating a banquet in the grave. The final part of the passage is the last so for connection, combination. In verse 20 through 22, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and their treacherous will be rooted out of it. Once again, simplicity. There's no nuance here. There's the land and those who are kicked out of the land. There's the good path and the wicked path. The Father is encouraging us to say, call out for wisdom so that you can walk in the good path. So that you can inhabit the land. Now, I've deliberately left time generous amounts of time for reflections on the passage as a whole. We followed through the logic, we followed through the verbs, and we followed through the little words that create all the connections. And now what I really want to do and pray that the Lord will help us and the Spirit will meet us here is to sort of step back from the text a little bit and to be able to say, okay, so as a whole, what can we grab? What can we carry away from Proverbs 2? And the first thing I think we should carry away with it is notice the emphasis in the entire passage. And I've already sort of brought it up, but let's, let's make it really clear. The emphasis is on God's action more than our action. The if is the first five verses. And then after that, it's full, it's rich in what God will do to meet you. In other words, it does not say, how many of us, if when we read this passage, what do we hear? Here's what we hear. Stay away from the forbidden woman. Stay away from the bad guys. Guard your own heart. Walk in the land, right? The, what we hear when we read this verse, if you're like me, are imperatives of what I'm supposed to do. And that's okay to hear those because the Bible does talk to us like that. But that's not how the passage is set up. The passage is set up like this. God will deliver you from that woman. God will deliver you from those evil men. God will store up for you wisdom. God is a shield to you. He will watch over you. 
Notice how strong the emphasis this is a very God-centered passage. The emphasis is on God's action on our behalf in response to our paltry, small, little five verses of if. That's beautiful, isn't it? Resist the temptation to turn a passage like this into a, 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 a list of uh, boxes to check. Yes, I've, I've avoided this, I've avoided this, I've avoided this. I think to understand this passage well, to understand this passage better, is to walk into this passage and realize, God, I need you to help me with these things. I need you to deliver me from these things that have smooth words that are attracting my heart. I need you to make wisdom attractive to me and beautiful to me and make it come into my heart and make me love it. I can't do that myself, God. I have no power to make myself love your word. I need you to do that. So the first connection, I think, is, is just the emphasis of the whole passage is on God's action and not on our action. And that makes for a very easy second connection point. And the second connecting point is because of that, because this passage is about God's response to our small if, we see a very easy tie to the gospel here, don't we? Because the gospel is all about the same sort of logical thinking. Romans 10.9 puts it really well. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice the active part. If you believe, if you confess, but the passive part of the passage is where the power is, then you will be saved by God. In the New Testament, we have a really great illustration of this, that uh, as soon as I read the calling out portion, I thought about, and then I was listening to a sermon as I was driving, and he made the same example, and, and it, just, it just, just caught me. It's so beautiful, and it's in Mark 10, when you have blind Bartimaeus. You remember this story? Blind Bartimaeus is sitting on the side of the road. Jesus is walking by. He somehow finds out that it's Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's screaming it so loud. The people around him are like, dude, chill. This is annoying. Uncool. And what's it say? He says, crawls out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. It's hard to look cool and call out, isn't it? But why is he doing it? Because he knows that Jesus has what he needs. And only Jesus can give him what he needs. Oh, Lord, help us to be like Bartimaeus. Help us to call out. Help us to see our need and help us to seek it with that much desire and energy. The third connecting point, and this is something uh, some friends and, and I were, were have even, th that helped me even in some text chains as we were trying to encourage each other, people from, from our church here. And, and it struck me that, as simple as this is, right? Call out for the Lord and he'll give you wisdom. Call out for Jesus and he will save you. If, if you need to be delivered, ask God and he'll deliver you. As simple as it is, why don't we do it? Right? It's sort of a mystery. None of us do it very well. We all, Christian or non-Christian, today are sitting down at the banquet of sin and not able to walk away from it as easily as it sounds like it should be. So it's sort of this big question. If it's this simple, Jason, why can't I just do it? 
So I spent some time thinking about that and praying about that. And I think there's a couple of things we could say. There's three. The first one is, maybe we just don't see it. Maybe we're blind to our blindness. Maybe we're as blind as blind Bartimaeus, but we don't think we are. And Jesus is walking by, and we don't think we need him. We think we got it made. We think we're all right. And this could be true for whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. Maybe someone's presenting the gospel to you, and you're like, I think I got it. I'm pretty well happy. I think my life's going all right right now. My marriage seems to be doing okay. I think I'm on top of this. But you're blind. You're blind to your greatest need. Your greatest need is salvation. Your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. But I certainly don't want to be pointing my fingers only at the non-Christians. We as Christians do it too, don't we? We might be worse. We're definitely more culpable. Uh, I think I'm okay. I don't really think I need to call out for God's wisdom. I think my own wisdom is serving me all right. I come on Sundays, and I think about God then a little bit, but then I sort of enter into Monday, and I just sort of dip into my own reservoir of wisdom, and it's serving me okay. I haven't lost my job. I'm doing all right. You're blind to your blindness. And I'm not just pointing at you because we all fall into this trap ourselves. So one of the reasons that we might not do it is we might just be blind to it. The second reason we might not do it, and I think this is the stronger one, is not a problem with our eyesight or our, our blindness. It's a problem with our hearts. We don't want to do it. We like that meal. Someone could point out to us, it's going to lead to death. We're like, yeah, you know what? I'll worry about that then. I'm just having the appetizer. And it's good. And I'm enjoying it. And maybe even some of what I'm enjoying about it is exactly the stuff that makes these guys so bad. Maybe I'm enjoying the fact that it's hidden and I'm enjoying the fact that no one knows about it and I'm enjoying the fact that I'm getting away with it and that, that puts me in this category, this evil person. And I even can maybe even recognize it and maybe in it sometimes the spirit is at work in me and I'm feeling some, some conviction. But at the end of the day, I don't hate it enough to call out for help. I think in all of our lives, We've experienced times like this. Some of us maybe in a more treacherous place, in a more dangerous way than others. I really think that's what's actually going on. If you notice in verse 18, whenever if you're uh, at the house of this adulterous woman, it says, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Well, we know that people can turn from sexual sin and adultery. We know that people can turn away from all kinds of addictions and sinful behaviors. But I think what's happening here is if you sit at that table long enough, you don't want to come back. You want to stay there. You want to finish the course. They're going to have fondue at the end. I want that fondue. I'm willing to give away. I'm giving it all up. I, my heart wants to be there. So I would just ask you, do the slightest bit of introspection this morning. Pray that the Spirit would reveal to you, am I sitting down at a banquet that's leading to death in any way in my life? And if so, I need to call out for help. I need to ask that, the, that, that Jesus come and make his wisdom sweet to me, sweeter than that meal. Right? Make the good path more attractive than that path because that's really what's going on in our heart, isn't it? In our heart and in our fouled up sense of right and wrong and our fouled up sense of wisdom, we think this is the better path and we're wrong. And if we don't realize it sooner than later, we'll end up in death. And the third reason, I think it's just so hard. I think there's a lot of you. I think there's a lot of you 
that know what I'm talking about. And you're thinking, I hate being at that table, but I can't get out of it. That, that food is too strong. That sexual addiction is too strong. That drink is too strong. That desire for affirmation or even just, I know I need to trust Jesus. I know I need to become a Christian, but I like my life too much. And I would say for, for those of you who fall into that category, this is why we're all here. This is, we need to help each other. And that maybe the biblical metaphor is less blind Bartimaeus calling out, son of David, have mercy on me. Maybe the better metaphor in that is the four men who carry the paralyzed man and drop him through the ceiling. And that's what we need to be doing for one another. We need to be ambulances. This person's been at the meal so long. They're in a coma. They're about to be dead. We got to go rescue them and pull them out and drop them down in front of Jesus. I, I just, my encouragement is you don't go it alone. That's what your church family is for. There are many of you who have called out many times asking for God to deliver you. And then you get mad because he hasn't. Well, let me just encourage you, ask for help. That's what the family of God is here for. If we call out for wisdom, the Lord will guard us. He'll protect us. He'll deliver us. So simple, but yet so difficult. But we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who can utter those prayers for us when we don't even know what to say, who can enter in, who can literally change our desires. That's an amazing thing. No superpower in the Marvel Universe or DC or whatever else it is has that power to literally change the desires within an evil person. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us if we call out. Join me in doing that now. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we call out to you now. I'm going to pause for about 20 seconds to let the Spirit work in each of our hearts individually of what those things are that we need to call out for deliverance from. Father, as those things are brought to mind and as maybe they're brought to mind throughout the next day and maybe even throughout the week, I pray, God, that we would bring those to you, that we would call out, we would recognize our blindness and we would say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Give me this wisdom. Guard me. Protect me. Watch over me. And for those of us who need it, which are all of us, that we would ask for help from our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.